Chapter 19, Part 2 of The Life of Clara Barton, Volume 1, by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19, Part 2 Andersonville and After For four years, Clara Barton carried on this important work for missing soldiers. She spared neither her time nor her purse. At the outset, there was no appropriation that covered the necessary expenses of such a quest, and the work was of a character that would not wait. From the beginning of the year 1865 to the end of 1868, she sent out 63,182 letters of inquiry. She mailed printed circulars of advice in reply to correspondence to 58,693 persons. She wrote, or caused to be written, 41,855 personal letters. She distributed to be posted on bulletin boards and in public places 99,057 slips containing printed rolls. According to her estimate, at the end of this heavy task, she succeeded in bringing information not otherwise obtainable to not less than 22,000 families of soldiers. How valuable this work was then believed to be is shown in the fact that Congress, after an investigation by a committee which examined in detail her method and its results and the vouchers she had preserved of her expense, appropriated to reimburse her the sum of $15,000. It soon became evident that one of the most important fields for investigation was such record as could be found of the southern prisons, especially Andersonville. To Andersonville her attention was directed through a discharged prisoner, Dorrance Atwater of Connecticut. He was in the first detachment transferred, the latter part of February, 1864, to the then new prison of Andersonville, and because of his skillful penmanship, was detailed to keep a register of deaths of the prisoners. He occupied a desk next to that of General Wirtz, the Confederate officer commanding the prison. Here, at the beginning of 1865, he made up a list of nearly 13,000 Union prisoners who died in that year, giving the full name, company and regiment, date and cause of death. Besides the official list, he made another and duplicate list, which he secreted in the lining of his coat and was able to take with him on his discharge. At the close of the war, he returned to his home in Terryville, Connecticut, where he was immediately stricken with diphtheria. Weakened and emaciated by his imprisonment, he nearly died of this acute attack. Before he was fully recovered, he was summoned to Washington, and his roles were demanded by the government. He gave them up, and they were copied in Washington, 
but were not published. He wrote to Clara Barton, informing her of these roles, and affirmed that by means of them he could identify almost every grave in Andersonville prison. Clara Barton was greatly interested and proposed to Secretary Stanton that she be sent to Andersonville and that Dorrance Atwater accompany her. She proposed that there should go with them a number of men equipped with material for enclosing the cemetery with a fence and for the marking of each grave with a suitable headboard. Secretary Stanton received this suggestion not only with approval, but with enthusiasm. Miss Barton wrote the account of her interview with him on some loose sheets for her diary. The sheets were at least three in number, and only the second sheet is preserved. This sheet, however, covers the personal interview with Secretary Stanton. It was written at the time and manifests his keen interest in her enterprise and desire to carry it through promptly and effectively. On entering General Hardy's room, he asked my business. I said, I didn't know, sir. I supposed I had some, as the secretary sent for me. Oh, he said, you are Miss Barton. The secretary is very anxious to see you and sent a messenger to announce me. Mr. Stanton met me halfway across the room with extended hand, and said he had taken the liberty to send for me to thank me for what I had done both in the past and in my present work, that he greatly regretted that he had not known me earlier, as from all he now learned he feared I had done many hard things which a little aid from him would have rendered comparatively easy, but that, especially now, he desired to thank me for helping him to think, that it was not possible for him to think of everything which was for the general good, and no one knew how grateful he was to the person who put forth, among all the impracticable, interested, wild, and selfish schemes which were continually crowded upon him, one good, sensible, practical, unselfish idea that he could take up and act upon with safety and credit. You may believe that by this time my astonishment had not decreased. In the course of the next twenty minutes, he informed me that he had decided to invite me, for he could not order me, to accompany Captain Moore, with Atwater and his register, to Andersonville, and see my suggestions carried out to my entire satisfaction, that unlimited powers as quartermaster would be given Captain Moore to draw upon all officers of the government in that vicinity for whatever would be desired, that a special boat would be sent with ourselves and corps of workmen, and to return only when the work was satisfactorily accomplished, to call the next day and consult with him farther in... Dot, dot, dot. If Miss Barton's horse 
which he had asked for in June, had gotten to her door more promptly than is customary in such matters of official routine, he might have grown hungry waiting for her return. As we have already noticed, permission to have the horse assigned was granted in October, which left the summer free for the Andersonville expedition. Fortunately, no long interval elapsed after Secretary Stanton's approval of the plan before the starting of the expedition. On July 8th, the propeller Virginia, having on board headboards, fencing material, clerks, painters, letterers, and a force of 40 workmen, under command of Captain James M. Moore, quartermaster, left Washington for Andersonville by way of Savannah. On board also were Dorrance Atwater and Clara Barton. They reached Savannah on July 12th and remained there seven days, arriving at Andersonville on July 25th. Her first impressions were wholly favorable. The cemetery was in much better condition than she had been led to fear. As the bodies had been buried in regular order, and Dorrance Atwater's lists were minute as to date and serial number, the task of erecting a headboard giving each soldier's name, state, company, regiment, and date of death appeared not very difficult. On the second night of her stay in Andersonville, she wrote to Secretary Stanton of the success of the undertaking and suggested that the grounds be made a national cemetery. She assured him that for his prompt and humane action in ordering the marking of these graves, the American people would bless him through long years to come. She was correct in her prediction. But for her proposal and Mr. Stanton's prompt cooperation and Dorrance Atwater's presence with a list, hundreds if not thousands of graves now certainly are identified at Andersonville, which would have needed to be marked unknown. Honorable E. M. Stanton, Secretary of War, United States. Sir, it affords me great pleasure to be able to report to you that we reached Andersonville safely at one o'clock p.m. yesterday, 25th instant mens. Found the grounds undisturbed, the stockade and hospital quarters standing protected by order of General Wilson. We have encountered no serious obstacle, met with no accident, our entire party is well and commenced work this morning. Any misgivings which might have been experienced are happily at an end. The original plan for identifying the graves is capable of being carried out to the letter. We can accomplish fully all that we came to accomplish, and the field is wide and ample for much more in the future. If desirable, the grounds of Andersonville can be made a national cemetery of great beauty and interest. Be assured, Mr. Stanton, 
that for this prompt and humane action of yours, the American people will bless you long after your willing hands and mind have ceased to toil for them. With great respect, I have the honor to be, sir, your very obedient servant, Clara Barton. Andersonville, Georgia, July 26, 1865. The remaining period of her work in Andersonville was fruitful in the accomplishment of all the essential results for which she had undertaken the expedition, but it resulted in strained relations between one of the officers of the expedition and Dorrance Atwater, and Clara Barton came to the defense of Atwater. During her absence at Andersonville, Two letters were published in a Washington paper over her signature, alleged to have been written by her to her Uncle James. She had no Uncle James and wrote no such letters, and she attributed the forgery, correctly or incorrectly, to this officer. Her official report to the Secretary of War contains a severe arraignment of that officer, whom she never regarded with any favor. This is all that need to be recorded of Clara Barton's great work at Andersonville, of which a volume might easily be made. She saw the Union graves marked, out of the almost 13,000 graves of Union soldiers at Andersonville, 440 were marked unknown when she finished her work, and they were unknown only because the Confederate records were incomplete. She saw the grounds enclosed and protected, and with her own hands she raised the United States flag for the first time since their death above these men who have died for it. But this expedition involved trouble for Atwater. When he handed over his roles to the government, it was with the earnest request that steps be taken immediately to mark these graves. His request and the roles had been pigeonholed. Then he had learned of Clara Barton's great work for missing soldiers and wrote her telling her that the list he had made surreptitiously and preserved with such care was gathering dust, while 13,000 graves were fast becoming unidentifiable. She brought this knowledge to Secretary Stanton, as has already been set forth, and Stanton ordered the rolls to be produced and sent on this expedition for Atwater's use in identification. Dorrance Atwater had enlisted at the age of 16 in the year 1862. He was now under 20, but he was resolute in his determination that the lists which he had now recovered should not again be taken from him. On his return from Andersonville, the rolls which he had made containing the names of missing soldiers disappeared. He was arrested and questioned, and replied that the rolls were his own property. He was sent to prison in the old capital, was tried by a court-martial, 
adjudged guilty of larceny and sentenced to be confined for eighteen months at hard labor in the state prison at Auburn, New York, fined three hundred dollars and ordered to stand committed until the rolls were returned. Atwater made no defense, but issued a statement which Clara Barton probably prepared for him. I am charged with and convicted of theft and sentenced to 18 months imprisonment, and after that time, until I shall have paid my government $300. I have called no witnesses, made no appeal, adduced no evidence. A soldier, a prisoner, an orphan, and a minor. I have little with which to employ counsel to oppose the government of the United States. Whatever I may have been convicted of, I deny the charge of theft. I took my rolls home with me that they might be preserved. I considered them mine. It had never been told or even hinted to me that they were not my own rightful, lawful property. I never denied having them, and I was not arrested for stealing my rolls, but for having declared my intention of appealing to higher authority for justice. I suppose this to be one of the privileges of an American citizen, one of the great principles of the government for which we had fought and suffered. But I forgot that the soldier who sacrificed his comforts and risked his life to maintain these liberties was the only man in the country who would not be allowed to claim their protection. My offense consists in an attempt to make known to the relatives and friends the fate of the unfortunate men who died in Andersonville prison. And if this be a crime, I am guilty to the fullest extent of the law. For to accomplish it, I have risked my life among my enemies and my liberty among my friends. Since my arrest, I have seen it twice publicly announced that the record of the dead of Andersonville would be published very soon one announcement apparently by the government, and one by Captain James M. Moore, A.G.M. No such intimation was ever given until after my arrest, and if it prove that my imprisonment accomplishes that which my liberty could not, I ought perhaps to be satisfied." If this serves to bring out the information so long and so cruelly withheld from the people, I will not complain of my confinement, but when accomplished, I would earnestly plead for that liberty so dear to all and to which I have been so long a stranger. I make this statement, which I would confirm by my oath if I were at liberty, not as appealing to public sympathy for relief, but for the sake of my name, my family, and my friends. I wish it to be known that I am not sentenced to a penitentiary as a common thief, but for attempting to appeal from the trickery of a clique of petty officers. Dorrance Atwater On September 25, 1865, 
just one month from the day when he returned from Andersonville from the marking of the soldiers' graves, Dorrance Atwater, as Clara Barton records, was heavily ironed, and under escort of a soldier and captain as guard, in open daylight, and in the face of his acquaintances, taken through the streets of Washington to the Baltimore depot, and placed upon the cars a convict bound to Auburn State Prison. Clara Barton had moved heaven and earth to save Dorrance from imprisonment, had done everything excepting to advise him to give up the rolls. She knew so well what the publication of those names meant to 13,000 anxious homes. She was willing to see Dorrance go to prison rather than that should fail. Secretary Stanton was out of Washington when Dorrance was arrested. She followed him to West Point and had a personal interview, which she supplemented by a letter. Rose Hotel, West Point, September 5, 1865. Honorable E. M. Stanton, Secretary of War, USA. My honored friend, please permit me before leaving to reply to the one kind interrogatory made by you this morning, viz, what do you desire me to do in the case? Simply this, sir. Do nothing, believe nothing, sanction nothing in this present procedure against Dorrance Atwater until all the facts with their antecedents and bearings shall have been placed before you and this upon your return if no one more worthy offer i promise to do with all the fairness truthfulness and judgment that in me lie there is a noticeable haste manifested to dispose of the case in your absence which leads me to fear that there are those who, to gratify a jealous whim or serve a personal ambition, would give little heed to the dangers of unmerited public criticism they might thus draw upon you, while young Atwater, honest and simple-hearted, both loving and trusting you, has more need of your protection than your censure. With the highest esteem, and unspeakable gratitude, I am, sir, Clara Barton. Failing to secure the release of Dorrance by appeal to Secretary Stanton, who was not given to interference with military courts, Clara Barton tried the effect of public opinion, and also sought to arouse the military authority of the state of Connecticut. Two letters of hers are preserved addressed to friends in the newspaper world, but they did not immediately accomplish the release of Dorrance. Clara Barton was not a woman to desist in an effort of this kind. She had set about to procure the release of Dorrance Atwater. She had the support of Senator Henry Wilson and General B. F. Butler, and she labored day and night to enlarge the list of influential friends who should finally secure his freedom. She surely would have succeeded. 
while the government saw no convenient way of issuing him a pardon until he returned the missing rolls, public sentiment in his favor grew steadily under her insistent propaganda. At the end of two months' imprisonment, he was released under a general order which discharged from prison all soldiers sentenced there by court-martial for crimes less than murder. Even after the issue of the President's general order, Atwater was detained for a little time until Clara Barton made a personal visit to Secretary Stanton and informed him that Dorrance was still in prison and secured the record of his trial for future use. Then she set herself to work to secure the publication of his roles. He must copy them and rearrange them by states and in alphabetical order, a task of no light weight, and must then arrange with some responsible newspaper to undertake to secure their publication. Moreover, this must be done quickly and quietly, for she believed that Dorn still had an enemy who would thwart the effort if known. The large task of copying the rolls and rearranging the names required some weeks. When it was finished, Clara Barton, who had previously thought of the New York Times as a possible medium of publicity on account of an expression of interest which it had published, and even had considered the unpractical idea of simultaneous publication in a number of papers, turned instead to Horace Greeley. She wrote to him in January 1866, and then went to New York and conferred with him. Greeley told her that the list was quite too long for publication in the columns of any newspaper. The proper thing to do, as he assured her, was to bring it out in pamphlet form at a low price, and, on the day of publication, to exploit it as widely as possible through the columns of the Tribune. To get the list in type, read the proof, print the edition, and have it ready for delivery required some days, if not weeks. Valentine's Day was fixed as that upon which the list was to appear. On February 14, 1866, the publication occurred. Horace Greeley was a good advertiser. All through the advertising pages of the Tribune on that day, appeared the word Andersonville in a single line of capitals, varied here and there, by Andersonville. See advertisement on eighth page. No one who read that day's Tribune could escape the word Andersonville. The editorial page contained the following paragraph. We have just issued a carefully compiled list of the Union soldiers buried at Andersonville, arranged alphabetically under the names of their respective states and containing every name that has been or can be recovered. Aside from the general and mournful interest felt in these martyrs personally, this list will be of great importance hereafter in the settlement of estates, etc. 
a copy should be preserved for reference in every library, however limited. It constitutes a roll of honor wherein our children's children will point with pride to the names of their relatives who died that their country might live. See Advertisement. The eighth page contained a half-page article by Clara Barton, telling in full of the marking of the Andersonville graves. This article was hailed with nationwide interest, and the pamphlet had an enormous circulation, bringing comfort to thousands of grief-stricken homes. Dorrance Atwater never recovered from his treatment at the hands of the United States government. For many years the record of the court-martial stood against him, and his status was that of a released prisoner still unpardoned. His spirit became embittered, and he said that the word soldier made him angry, and the sight of a uniform caused him to froth at the mouth. The government gave him a consulship in the remote Seychelles Islands, and later transferred him to the Society Islands in the South Pacific. He died in November 1910, and his monument is erected near Papit on the island of Tahiti. End of chapter 19, part 2.